welcome to AIJ Cast, a podcast featuring conversations and performances at the intersection of art, inspiration, and justice. I'm your host, Marthame Sanders. On this episode, part one of our conversation with Noor Abedi. Noor is an advocate, educator, and artist, and we got a chance to sit down with her in the AIJ Cast studios. Noor Abedi, welcome to AIJ Cast. Thank you for having me, Marthame. It's my pleasure. One of the things that I have known about you being your friend for a while now is that there is always some kind of artistic pursuit at work in your life. Always. I first knew it as piano. You've hinted that there are other artistic pursuits that you've uh, pursued in your life. Always. Yeah. There has always been something that I'm pursuing when it comes to self-expression and art. Hmm. I think it was drawing and sketching at some point when I was at school. Yeah. I pursued working with fabrics and knitting and all of that. And then as I grew, my musical, I've always had a musical talent. So I always used to sing at school, huh. but never really played an instrument. Yeah. I grew up in Jordan, right. and I'm on Jordan. And having a musical pursuit could be costly. Mm. So for a family that comes from, you know, it's a middle class family, yeah. uh, five kids. It's not a very feasible hobby to have, but I always wanted to play the piano, the yeah. guitar maybe, or the piano. So when I came to the United States, it became more accessible Yeah, and I decided to pursue it. So yeah. yeah. Was that something, just the whole notion of an artistic pursuit for self-expression, was that something that you feel like your family inculcated in you uh, culturally? Was it something that you just kind of discovered on your own? Family didn't really... It didn't like uh, intentionally cultivate it, let's put it that way, but it didn't push against it. Hmm. So it was there. I was the only one actually in the family okay. who always had something that she's expressing, that she's yeah. drawing, that she's working with her hands on. Yeah. But it took me a while. I think only last year I came to the conclusion that some people are born artists hmm. and it took me a while to accept that. Wow. Yeah. And I think now I'm, I just reached that you know realization. You're just born an artist. There's always something that you want to express, always something that you want to work with your hands on and and that's just okay. So was there a time at which where you felt like this, I shouldn't do this or this is strange or I'm different or something's wrong with me or something like that? Not to that extent, but I mean, if you think about because pursuing art is really an investment of time and effort. Yeah. And sometimes valuable years of your life where everybody's expecting you to go to school and to pursue, you know, degrees and academic degrees and a career that you're going to have of your own. So... Choosing a different path would be just very different, sometimes maybe frowned upon. So that I didn't. So hmm. that, that was always something that's okay to do on the side, but right. that's nothing that you would pursue full time. That was a main pursuit. So, yeah. yeah. So that's what I'm referring to is, you know, I realized that it's okay if this is something that I want to pursue full time. Yeah. That's totally fine. Yeah. But it took me a while. Hmm. Tell me about piano. Wow. Okay. So I'm born with a good voice. Yeah. So I used to sing Arabic in Arabic. Yeah. My dad has a good voice too. My sister also has a good voice. But this is something that I was always known for in the school. I'm the one who's asked to lead, you know, and sing and all of that. Why piano? I mean, piano is just classic. It's romantic. It's Mm -hmm. you use both your hands and you, you know, the music sheet is just looks different. You're reading Mm -hmm. two different lines. There's a lot of coordination at work. A lot of coordination. So I remember it was a concert, I believe, that I attended that just... I realized after that, that that's it. That's the time. Huh. And it was a concert for Yanni. I've always loved Yanni. Yeah. There's something about Yanni. The long hair and the passion. and the... <laughs> Well, and his name is Yanni. Yanni too. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So he's... It's a little inside joke for it's... any Arab speakers on, that are <laughs> listening funny. to the podcast. 
So yeah, so he's putting all what he's meaning, yani, yeah, into the music nice. that he plays. I always felt his music. So I attended, he came to Atlanta many years ago. That was probably 10 years ago or so. So my husband Ashraf and I, we went to that concert. And after that, I said, you know what? I need to buy a piano. Wow. So I know a little bit about Eastern musicality and tonality. Mm-hmm. And there are notes in the Eastern scale that don't exist in the Western scale. Oh, yeah, there are scales that do not exist. Right. So you know how it is in English or Western music in general. I can't really generalize, but I can tell you that here, the music that I learned, the classical music, we only have really mainly two different scales, which is the major and the minor. Right. And if you think about the steps in those scales, it's usually eight steps. It's either half tone or full tone between right. them. Now, right. the Arabic music and a lot of the Eastern music, they actually have eight and the reason for that is because there's a quarter step. Yeah, the semitones. The semitones. Yeah. So we have we have eight scales. Yeah. Well, I grew up with that music. Sure. Right? Yeah. So your ear is able, it's better able that. to hear, you know, very uh, nuanced, if you may. Right. Remember you and I, how we were talking about the language and the accent and how some people have, well, do not really have a very pronounced or heavy accent when sure. they speak foreign languages. Yeah. And you know, I majored in linguistics. Yeah. And I remember running into research about the people who play music and their ears are exposed to different like music scales, right. and, like international music. They're, they have a more nuanced ear and yeah. that's more a better yeah. way of pronouncing. Well, and yeah. that's something that, I mean, your English has no accent at all. You, and, <laughs> and, and I've noticed that when I'm learning languages that I focus really hard on the accent because I want to get it right. But it's yeah. also, it's that ear, right? It's it that musical ear. ear. So Like, I think people should even hear you speak Arabic because you don't have an accent in Arabic and that's just so difficult. It's very weird. It's my I, I talk about it as my parlor trick. It's my it's my party trick that I can come in and I can say and people oh look at me God, and they say, How is that even possible? It's confused disorienting. <laughs> it's very disorienting. <laughs> right. I love it. I love it. And you're an educator right. as well. You are mm. currently teaching at SCAD, mm. Savannah College of Art and Design, and you have done adult education. How did you get into the work of education? Well, my major, I was always fascinated by language. So art and language. So as a matter of fact, I wanted really to, the only academic pursuit of art that I could picture when I was 18 years old was either do architecture Mm. or do languages because I really loved both. And then I remember my dad telling me that, oh, you're a person of many talents and just being an architect is going to kill the life out of you. So go for language. And at the time, I didn't have really strong feelings either or. So I thought, you know what? I'm just going to pursue linguistics. The natural path, career path for somebody who majors in linguistics would be to teach language. Sure. Yeah. So that was just naturally. And then I found, I think I I have like an affinity, natural affinity to teaching Mm. and education. That also comes from the family. Yeah. Like my dad. My dad is an engineer, but he also used to teach courses in engineering. My mom was also a teacher. Okay. So So I'm curious, his comment about architecture, what do you think that was about, that it would just stifle you? I mean, it's my dad is an engineer and he had a consulting, like his own company, engineering, so building buildings. So he did work with architects all the time and all different types of engineers, like mechanical and civil and, and all of these. Yeah. I mean, he knows his daughter. Yeah. And he knew that I always had something that I was working on. And he just didn't want me to be consumed in a career that's not going to allow me to grow all the passions and talents. Almost like the rigidity of the rules kind of thing. And the regulations that fall. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about in terms of education, the desire for knowledge, the thirst for knowledge, the curiosity for knowledge. Does that connect in with faith for you? 
Oh, of course. Yeah. Of course. I mean, especially for us as Muslims, the religion, I mean, the first, uh, you probably know that for Muslims, the first word that came in their revelation was really Iqra. Iqra, Iqra means read. To read, yeah. So the emphasis of knowledge is very, very heavily pronounced in the Islamic tradition. Mm-hmm. So I personally grew up in a, in a family. Really, it's a, the household was not that big. It had thousands of books in it. Mm. Thousands of books. Mm. So that's where people there see value, even like as social status, people with more knowledge and more. These are the ones who are even have more elevated status. Right. So, yeah, I think the pursuit of knowledge, is not just in me, probably in any practicing Muslim, is something that they're heavily influenced with or yeah. by. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think about, you know, just the fact of how so much of like science and math was held in the Islamic world when right. the European world was going through what we call the dark ages, the yeah. middle ages, yeah. and how that knowledge was kept That's right. <laughs> in the Islamic world for a long time. And that that's part of that legacy of Islam that's in the right. Islamic world. Noor Abedi on AIJCast. We'll be back with more of our conversation in just a moment, but first a quick word. As always, I encourage you to visit the AIJCast website, AIJCast.com, which is where you will find links to our artists, their news, information, and products. That includes links to Noor Abadi's beautiful woodworking designs. You can find that and so much more. Just head on over to AIJCast.com. And now, back to more of our conversation with Noor Abadi. To me, there's always within faith a curiosity about the world and a curiosity about how the world works, where there are places of mystery where it doesn't make sense. And that, to me, is also tied up in the knowledge of God, the desire to know God. Is that resonate with you? Oh, very much, of course. And that's why also the concept of reflection or meditation and reflecting in nature specifically is also a notion that you will see coming up mm, over and over in the whole yes. book that Muslims read. Yeah. So reflecting in nature is actually something that is, it's almost like a recurrent theme yeah. in the Quran. And that's that's for a reason. That curiosity that you talked about, yeah. searching for a truth that's just bigger yeah. than the life, the daily life that you live in, materialistic life, if you may. So yeah. the uh, majestic mountains are mentioned in the Quran, the skies, the waters, I mean, all of it. And let's talk about your woodworking, because this oh, is yeah. a, you've been doing this for... I've always loved wood, the way that it looks, the aesthetic of it, the fact that it's sturdy, but at the same time, you can still see the grain. So Mm -hmm. there was something about it, the roots, all of it, but I never really got a chance to work with it. I think maybe five, six, maybe it's six years ago, I wanted a new dining table, a farmhouse table, and I wasn't able to find the right size that I want. And then I discovered that we have a miter saw in the basement. But you just discovered that it was in the basement. Discovered it. <laughs> discovery. Because you know, the basements are full of discoveries, <laughs> The basements right? are full of discovery and things we forgot about. Discovered a miter saw. I was sitting there. And uh, it took me a while to get over the fear of using a power tool because these power tools are called power tools for a reason. Yeah. They're really scary. Yeah. Got over that fear of cutting my first few pieces. And then I was able to build a, a farmhouse table. And since then, I mean, also building things, making things that are functional, building things with your hands. It was just so fascinating. So like on a practical level, were you like taking classes? Were you watching YouTube videos? Were you just See, like I wish I can get into that habit. Go? I wish I can get into that habit of watching YouTube because there's, a, I f- try and find things out. I'm a problem solver. That's how my brain so works. So it's discovery. So it is a lot of discovery. Yeah. And then I realized that a lot of people discovered it before me. So if I watch that, <laughs> I don't know, 20 minute video on YouTube tutorial. <laughs> saved hours. I know, saved hours. <laughs> but I still, I do not find that attractive at all. 
I really? hardly ever watch YouTube videos. So I look, I think what I look at is I see images of things that I like, and then I spend hours just thinking mm -hmm. and closing my eyes, imagining how can I solve that problem? And then I just go ahead and do it. I mean, to me, that taps into the things we've been talking about, about self-discovery. Right. But also curiosity, curiosity right? Exactly. Like, so this is back into, I mean, to me, that's a theological enterprise. This is a oh. faith enterprises. Mm -hmm. I want to figure out how this is done. Yeah. And exactly. I'm going to figure it out. And I'm going to figure and it out. I'm going to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> it's so satisfying. It's... Um, and the practical nature. The pra I'm a very practical person. Yeah. And the fact that I'm able to build things that have an aesthetic to them, but they're also very functional. Mm hmm that's also very appealing. So making something that's going to hang on the wall. I do that sometimes, yeah. of course. Of course, you do that sometimes. But then also a table here and a desk there and a coaster or whatever, a tray. And I love it. I wonder if there's a connection also what you talked about in terms of Islam and the natural world. Hmm. And you're talking about a very organic material. I'm sure it is. I can't tell, but when I look at the trees, I'm also fascinated by the trunks, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's wood yeah. and the trees also so rooted. Yeah. I mean, you have to think of also, see that affinity and love for wood. I don't recall having it long time ago. Like when mm. I was a child, it was mostly music and fabrics mm -hmm, and paper mm -hmm. and all of this. But when I moved here to the United States, maybe because again, Atlanta is, has so many trees sure, and things like that. Place, but then yeah. also my life changed. I became, I'm an immigrant. Yeah. Now. So you're always looking for your roots, right? So, yeah, I think it's all connected. I mean, it's all yeah. connected for me. Yeah. The trees are rooted. The trees are strong. The trees are not shaken by the wind. They give. It's sturdy and it's also beautiful. Yeah. So what is, what roots you? It has to be faith. Yeah. Thing. Has to be. But then I would be lying if I say, well, also family and your relationships and friends and community and yeah. But at the core of it, especially when something in life happens and you feel shaken, I mean, what it's it has to be faith. Mm. You mentioned you're you're an immigrant. I am, and I described you and in, in the introduction as an advocate. Right. Justice is a part of your life yeah. and the work that you do. So I know you're you're working at the Southern Poverty Law Center as project manager in the justice, equity, and inclusion area with internally. That's right. But you've been involved in, in areas of justice, equity, and inclusion in other ways. Yeah. So tell us about that, how you got into that. I mean, again, you moved to the United States, and I'm a woman of color, brown woman, Middle Eastern. I wear the hijab, the headscarf. So my identity is, is very visible. Yeah. And of course, you could, when I first came to the United States, I was in my early 20s. So very ambitious and happy and Lala and, uh, you know, the dream and starting a new possible life. Everything is possible yeah. and all of this. And I think it was possible. Sure. But I was just oblivious. Yeah. I had no idea how people viewed me and how they mm. perceived me mm. until I realized that there is a very disconnect between the life that I live, what I think of myself, and how people really think about me. Mm. And I'm not talking about individuals. Sure. I mean, individuals are friends. We, I, in general, and you, that becomes very palpable, Martin, yeah, yeah. when you start applying, applying for jobs and, and in many situations, especially related to the political, you know, context sure. that you live in, things sure. happen. And then you realize, oh, people are not treating me as I'm in airport and I am, you know, I'm treated differently. And then my kids are treated differently. So you really have a very few paths. Mm -hmm. If you're a person in this situation, mm -hmm. you either... I think internalize all of these, believe all of that about yourself and right. sort of succumb to it. You either rebel and become very vocal 
maybe you can be angry, sometimes mm-hmm. legitimately angry. Sure. I'm an educator, yeah. right? And I do believe in the value of education and reaching out and building bridges. So I think that's the path that I opted for, yeah. you know, to just reach out. And I think at the core of it was a strong belief that in most situations and for most people, hate is not really deeply rooted in people. Most mm. of the time, it's just an expression of fear of things right. that they don't know. Uh, yeah. And again, I'm not saying any of that to justify or sure. legitimize hateful actions, but that was the path that I took. And I feel that it, to a certain extent, it was helpful. It was conducive. Mm. Do you think you would have ended up doing this kind of work had you not been an immigrant and not had faced that? Was it something that was... Why would I? I don't know. No, I wouldn't. I think it's my context. I always had a, like a keen, if you may, eye or sensation for things that are just wrong. Yeah. Right? And you shouldn't just be standing, you know, silent. Right. But then living it here myself... And seeing your children, like sometimes there are certain things that you would accept and say, that's fine. And, you know, let go. Brush and it off and whatever. Brush it yeah. off and whatever. But then when you see your children treated differently at school yeah. or, I mean, you cannot brush it off. Yeah. You have to stand up for them. So I did not have a life somewhere else. My life has been either in Amman, Jordan or here in Atlanta, Georgia. So I cannot really speak. It's very hypothetical. Sure. If I, But I don't think that these would be the causes, say, that I would advocate for had I continued to live in Amman. Yeah. I mean, I, I think knowing you as, as long as I have. I do have this sense in you, like an like an embedded sense of right and wrong. Yeah, <laughs> and at the same time, this kind of reality of like, oh yeah, coming having to face this personally, myself and my family, mm. that lit the fire, so to speak. That's right. Or gave the direction. That's right. Gave the yeah. direction. Nor Abadi on AIJ Cast. You can find her online at Instagram, where her handle is Nor N O O R dot Wood dot Design. On our next episode, part two of our conversation with Nora Betty. And Jake has made possible through the support of listeners like you. We can only do this work because of that support. So please do take just a moment and go to our website, AIJCast.com, where you can click on the link that says support. And we do love to connect with you on social media. We are there on a number of platforms where our handle is AIJCast. Our theme music comes from our house band, Mard Fame. And we are engineered, mixed, and produced by the always nosy Al Mudif. The other day, Al and I were talking about children's names, and he said, for some reason, his absolute favorite of all time is Laurel. I've always loved Yanni. And I'm your host, Marthame Sanders, encouraging you to create some beauty of your own. And remember that the world isn't truly beautiful until it's beautiful for all. Until next time, I leave you with justice and peace. Thank you.